Join Winnipeg Sports Talk, live from the NHL Draft in Nashville, presented by CoolBet, beginning on June 26th. This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, gang? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. The countdown continues to draft week in Nashville, where we're going to get going next Monday from Music City. But no shortage of off-season topics to get to today involving the Winnipeg Jets, some of the latest information and rumors surrounding Connor Hellebach. Pierre-Luc Dubois will hear from a few of the insiders and what's come up on the wire over the last 24 hours and discuss it as well with Murat Atesh a little later on. Really looking forward to Murat's visit. And we're also going to get into uh, the mind of our pal, Ted Wyman. Ted's going to bring the drip coming up in the first segment. We will certainly talk Bombers, get ready for that big battle for first place tomorrow with the Bombers and the BC Lions at Investors Group Field. And a little later on, with the draft starting next Wednesday, I guess a week today, uh, Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. is going to jump on with us, talk a little bit about Adam Fantilli, a young Winnipegger that might be picked in the first round as well, and uh, continuing trends of college players. Not to mention, we'll have to ask him about how Rucker McGrody's looking after his freshman year with the University of Michigan. So, uh, busy show. We'll get to the cool bet lines a little bit later on. Uh, we've got lots of baseball on right now. Travelers tomorrow. New Lock Shop today, by the way. If you missed that with myself and Dustin Nielsen, uh, you can get on over to Lock Shop Bets on YouTube and subscribe over there for all of that content. And yes, one more day of live racing this week at Assiniboia Downs. We'll hit that as well before the end of the program. Got to give a shout out to all the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Winnipeg Gold Eyes, Modern Man Barbershops, Aquatech, Canadian Club, Manitoba Battery, Princess Auto, Consolidated Supply, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, Little Brown Jug, Nick and Nicky DQ, F Apparel, Wallace and Wallace, and of course our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. We'll get to a why not question of the day for the gang at Not Autocorp at Waverly and McGilvery. As I mentioned, the cool event lines. And don't forget, as I mentioned, Monday it starts. Winnipeg Sports Talk at the NHL Draft in Nashville, presented by our great friends at Coolbet. Let's get the show on the road. Welcome to everybody in chat right now. Hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. Welcome to anyone new that's just finding us, looking around for the latest information on what the Winnipeg Jets are going to be doing heading into next week. And let's welcome in Michael Remus as well. Remo, what is up? How are you? Yeah, feeling good. Uh, speaking of subscribe, we just hit a nice milestone, 9,500 subscribers. Love those round numbers. The March to 10k 10k is on so make sure yeah you hit the subscribe button and of course like you want to know what's going to happen because yeah next this time next week we will be in nashville starting monday uh there could be some stuff going on then maybe we'll have some surprise videos who knows but uh subscribe like yeah throw those, those notifications on actually yeah, especially for next week depending on um depending on what happens those um, two as I said, we are going to get to the Bombers uh, with Ted. I'm um, looking forward to that. But I think uh, no surprise. I mean, what is driving conversations around bar tops and among sports fans in Winnipeg right now is what is going on with the Winnipeg Jets in this uh, really unprecedented offseason in the 2.0 era. 
um, plenty of information. And really, Dubois is at the top of the list for obvious reasons. But Connor Hellebuck has entered the chat yesterday. We'll get to a report from Pierre Lebrun in a moment. And then, of course, lots of continued discussions on Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler's future with the Winnipeg Jets. What's funny, though, Reem, after we finished the show yesterday, I, uh, by the way, shout out to the gang out at Maplewood. Had a fun night uh, golfing in 34-degree heat. Thank God the wind was uh, what it was yesterday. It made it a little bit more tolerable. Uh, but checking the phone and talking to the guys on the golf course, I mean, it's no different than in chat right now. It is all about these Winnipeg Jets moves. And, um, you know, after we finished the show, as I mentioned, uh, we got a little report from uh, Pierre Lebrun on Connor Hellebuck. Um, and then more on uh, on uh, Dubois. Um, and listen, if you're a hockey insider, uh, maybe even not an insider, any information on Dubois is... Um, is raw meat for hockey fans in this market, <laughs> but much more around the league as well. <laughs> uh, Robbie, I mean, even if you're not an insider, you look at our most viewed videos over the last year. Um, Pierre Luc Dubois is the cover photo of several <laughs> of them, and uh, you know, I put in the title Dubois drama, Dubois watch. I mean, so th- I mean that's cool. But yeah, we also have Hellebuck. There's some Blake Wheeler news yesterday as well. So you look at every trade board. Has Winnipeg Jets are like three of the top six or top five, maybe top four, depending on who's putting it together. So we're expecting some stuff to go down in terms of how the you know changing the look of the team for next season. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I know there's a narrative amongst some people that oh, there's nothing going on, and you know, this is all. Trust me, there is. Uh, and it's pretty clear when not only all the insiders, but even individuals like Steve Dangle, who um, you know is no longer at Sportsnet and is doing his own thing, really focusing on the Leafs, is getting into the mix. I, I, I put it this way: I did not have on my bingo card yesterday that Steve Dangle would be tweeting with insider information on Blake Wheeler, um, but he did exactly that, saying that uh, the uh, you know buyer is on the table. And listen. This should not be news. I mean, I got a lot of respect for Steve. He's done a great job building up what he has, and uh, I'm excited to see what those guys do moving forward. Um, but this really seems like a favor from maybe a guy like Chris Johnson that works with him on on their podcast network, throwing a bit of a bone and just to get out and throw it out. These Most of these guys don't pay a lot of attention to the Winnipeg Jets normally, that's all changing right now, though, as the Jets are the most interesting team with the most issues, but also opportunities uh, when it comes to uh, to trades. Uh, but Reem, if you want to just get that get that uh, tweet up, because we'll talk about Wheeler and then we'll get to some of this business on uh, on Hellebuck and Dubois. Um, I've said this before, and Dwager tweeted tweeted yesterday or earlier that the Jets are considering a buyout for Wheeler, and they're having conversations about a possible trade. For all of you that uh, the thing, here's the dangle tweet. I've heard Blake Wheeler's days in Winnipeg are numbered. Still a chance he moves, but most likely option is a buyout. And uh, again, according to Cap Friendly, eight and a quarter cap hit would be $2.75 million for two seasons. I realize that many people will say, well, the Jets don't do that. They don't want to pay guys not to play for them. Uh, they've only done that once, and that was Mark Stewart early on. Um, and listen, Mark Stewart was a beloved guy in the organization. If you're saying that they are too loyal and they would never do that, they did it to Mark Stewart. So I will remind people of that. 
but here's the thing, and this is why I, I, I mean, I was hesitant to go out on a limb and say 100% Blake Wheeler's not going to be back here when the team starts their season because I think there was a chance that things just didn't work out and maybe the appetite to buy Blake Wheeler out and move on wasn't there in the organization. I've really come around to thinking that is all but done. How it gets done, we'll find out. And a big part of that, Remo, was what we've been hearing from Darren Drager. And listen, I, I think that if you know, here's the tweet, uh, Dregs, uh, as has been the case since the buyout period opened. This is an option for the Winnipeg Jets and Blake Wheeler. There is some trade interest, so the Jets continue to work through the process. What tells me that that tells me is that it is going to be one or the other. And it probably is the simplest and easiest way to go about it, just simply buying the player out. And if you're looking to do Blake Wheeler right, gives him the opportunity to sign wherever he wants, get a chance to win the cup if he thinks there's a good spot, and you know takes care of him as well. A trade, obviously, a little bit more difficult and the Jets certainly would have to, I would imagine, have to maintain or eat half of that cap hit at over $4 million, which is a little less than what they'd pay in a buyout. But is there a sweetener involved that the team doesn't want to give up? I'm not sure. All I know, Reem, is that Darren Drager has been as plugged into Kevin Sheveldayoff as anyone. These guys don't just start throwing these things out um, to get clicks. Um, they like being right. And... Dregs, unprompted on a couple of occasions in the last week, has mentioned a buyout for Blake Wheeler, not even when asked about the Winnipeg Jets. So that tells me that there is a real possibility that that is the way it ends. But certainly when you hear them talking about a trade and a buyout, I think the writing is on the wall that this organization has realized up to the highest levels they do have to move on, and I think that is going to happen. And whether we find that out in the next week in a buyout period or potentially a trade in around the draft, I guess time will tell. They do have some days to, to make a decision on this until the 30th, um, but I can't imagine all of this smoke from people that are quite tied into the organization, especially Darren Drager, would lead to all for nothing and Blake Wheeler being back next year. Yeah, I wasn't so sure before. You, you, we played the clip last week of him on with Jay Onrate, and we casually threw a like, buyout speculation about Blake Wheeler. You know, didn't wasn't really reporting anything, but he just said there's speculation. And then it was last week for me on Sakaris and Price, and we played the clip yesterday. They're like, hey, uh, the buyout window opens. Do you think we'll see any news on anyone at all? And he brought up one, one player. He's like, I'm really interested to see what happens with the Winnipeg Jets and Blake Wheeler. And look, he tweeted this today. I mean, I read this tweet, as has been the case since the bio period opened. This is an option for the Jets and Wheeler. There's some trade interest, so they continue to work through the process. I mean, this tr this tweet doesn't say anything at all. It just says, you know, he's a bio candidate. But the fact that he keeps putting it out there makes you think something is in the works. And what the bio period is... June ends June 30. So I'm fully expecting if there is an announcement to be made 3.30 right after we sign off on Friday <laughs> the 30th. Because I looked it up, Huss. You know when they announced uh, Dubois accepted his qualifying offer? Drager tweeted it. It was the fri a Friday last summer at 3.30. Exactly. So <laughs> you don't think, think those guys don't know where everyone is right now, all, uh, how many, all, almost 400 in chat. What's up? Thanks, everyone, for being out here. But I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, 3.30 on a, on a Friday.
Yeah. So, uh, listen, I know there's a lot of you in chat that are impatient. Um, I'll be with you with that impatience if we get to July 1st and this doesn't happen. Um, but I think you're kind of wasting your time right now complaining about things that haven't happened yet because it doesn't matter whether it happens today or tomorrow or the next day or 10 minutes before the first round starts next week in Nashville. Right now, it's about making the best deal for the Winnipeg Jets. And I think in, in some ways, especially as we've heard that, you know, more teams might be getting into the mix for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, that's a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets and Kevin Dayoff. His job isn't to do something today. His job is to do the best job for the Winnipeg Jets and get the best return for these players that in some ways he's being forced to trade. And um, as I say, that's why it's going to be a fascinating week over the course of, uh, you know, well, leading into our shows in Nashville next week. Um, we'll get back to Dubois in a second, but why don't we bring in this Hellebuck clip yesterday, Rumo? And this was something a lot of people were talking about. No doubt that Dubois is handling most of the attention and most of the noise right now because of the rumors and the reports that we've had. And this goes back to last summer and even beyond. But the Connor Hellebuck story is right up there as well, certainly when it comes to his value in and around the league. And New Jersey had been a team that we had speculated before that, you know, might be a spot that, you know, could use a veteran elite goaltender to help them take that next step. Um, Pierre Lebrun on Insider Trading yesterday talked about the Jersey Devils' interest in Hellebuck, but what could be maybe a bit of a barrier to getting thing done and uh, getting something done. And that of course is money. Yeah. New Jersey Devils, one of the teams that uh, we understand that Connor Hellebuck would be interested in signing an extension with in a sign and trade. Now they're not the only team, of course. And listen, New Jersey has investigated it. They've had a conversation with Winnipeg, but I think what probably gives New Jersey pause and some other teams is the kind of money that Hellebuck would want an extension. We believe that to be in the Andre Vasilevsky range nine and a half million a range, uh, nine and a half million a year and you know we get why he's asking for it perhaps he's an, again a Vesna trophy finalist but I think for the Devils does that work in their cap so I think that price would have to come down I think for New Jersey to get more involved in this well activity around the Winnipeg Jets is definitely picking up this week but I think the extension numbers that Pierre just talked about somewhat hampering if not limiting the market around Connor Hellebuck all right, so uh, there's the uh, the conversation with the guys. And, you know, the Dubois sign-and-trade uh, reported by The Athletic, great thing for uh, for the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to maximizing the value for Pierre-Luc Dubois. The Hellebuck situation is a little different, and I know in that clip it was referred to as a sign-and-trade, but Connor Hellebuck's got a year left on his deal. I mean, if he's traded before July 1st, that team has his rights. They've got him signed for next year. And as the team that has him, they can sign him to the eight-year extension. So it it, the situation is a little different. It's important to, to point that out. But obviously, Remo, if teams are thinking about making a push and giving Kevin off what he wants to get his Vesna Trophy winning goaltender out of Winnipeg, uh, this team's going to want to have some level of confidence that Connor Hellebuck's going to be more than a guy coming in for one year. And that is, I think, where Ray Petkow comes in, Connor Hellebuck's agent, and conversations with those teams about what it will take to extend the Jets' Vesna Trophy winning goaltender. Yeah, and, you know, Gregor mentioned teams having paused because of the salary, and 
I think the thing's working against Connor Hellebuck is that he's going to be over 30 when he signs his next deal, and he's a goalie. We just saw Vegas go with Aiden Hill, you know, at you know, close what two million and Lauren Brossois. Like they played six goalies this year, and they you know, you yeah, want two to weeks copy. ago we were also talking about Bob basically yeah. single handedly yeah, dragging his team to the true. Cup final. That's true, but he was at 10 so. Million. But before that, we were talking about how that contract was so terrible, and he lost the starting job. And look, you look at the last two Cup winners: Vegas with Aiden Hill. Uh, Colorado with Darcy Kemper, who they just let go. Uh, I think teams are, I don't know if it's like running backs in football, Huss, where teams are like, yeah, maybe we can just plug any any guy there. Now, Hellbuck, he's been a Vesna finalist multiple times. He's up there. He's definitely worth the money. But if you're a team, and a lot of teams are so close to the top of the salary cap right now, how are you going to fit a $9 million goalie Who's over thirty? And well, here's the good news: he's only making six million next year, and mm-hmm. then on your extension when it kicks in, that's when the salary cap goes up. And I know we can say, "Hey, Aiden Hill went on a heater, and the Vegas Golden Knights won the cup. Vegas won the cup. Colorado won the cup because they were the best teams, and and they you know top to bottom. Connor Hellebuck makes an average team really good and a good team potentially great. He is as consistent and reliable as any goaltender in the National Hockey League, and he is an absolute workhorse. And listen, I know we're hearing about teams that are sort of going other ways and having a bit of a platoon with two guys. Listen, I'd far rather have a stone-cold lock, number one, a guy where the coach walks in and doesn't even have to think about the number that he's writing on the board and that one can help you win games. And I think if you asked anyone here in Winnipeg watching the Jets over the last six years, they would say that that is going to be money well spent for Hellebuck. And to be honest, I would feel better about an extension on a 30-year-old Hellebuck than I would a 30- or 31-year-old Mark Scheifele, for instance, because I think that Hellebuck has proven more than almost any of his peers how durable he is um, and what he can do consistently for a team that, you know, this has now stretched for eight years. When Murat comes on, we'll talk a little bit more about the Hellebuck situation, as well as look into New Jersey. I mean, Jesper Bratt was a player that Greg Wyshynski on this program suggested that, you know, maybe would look good in a trade. He's been signed to an extension. So what pieces might even potentially be considered in a trade to get Hellebuck to New Jersey? We'll hit that a little bit later on. But uh, let's get to Dubois, Remo, because um, Darren Drager had a little bit on the Dubois. And then from uh, earlier today, a little speculation from Elliot Friedman. But uh, here's a quick little report on the latest on uh, the Dubois drama from Darren Drager. As for Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's not just a two-horse race. It's not just the Montreal Canadiens and the Los Angeles Kings. There are other teams who are involved. We know the LA Kings have cap issues. The Montreal Canadiens have made it clear that, you know, this isn't going to be extortion. They can wait, if necessary, for when Pierre-Luc Dubois becomes an unrestricted free agent in a year. All right, so there's Drager on that. And now again, we all know how these things work. Drager's got a good line to shovel day off. Getting the word out that there's many other teams that are stiffing around or interested in Dubois certainly is a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe puts a bit of a squeeze on a team like Montreal to step up and up their offer if they're serious about getting Pierre-Luc Dubois. And 
you know, Darren just did mention, you know, the willingness just to wait and get him as an unrestricted free agent. Well, that doesn't happen if this sign and trade uh, deal is completed. And that, I think, puts more pressure on Montreal to really step up or uh, or back out. Um, and let's get to this clip from Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts. I think something that many people are thinking about the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, listen, we know a lot of their fans would love to see a French star center come in. We know Pierre-Luc Dubois has a lot of assets that teams would love to have. But I think there is some, there is some thoughts and wondering whether the Montreal Canadiens are really that committed to trying to get Pierre-Luc Dubois at some point, or maybe they feel that they're better off going elsewhere. Here's what Elliot, to, Elliot had to say on 32 today. Sorry, before I play the clip, Huss, I just want to say uh, they did speculate that, look, you know, if they want to do this deal, they could just do a dock for Dubois and it would have already been done. And then they got into, well, does Montreal really want uh, want to do this? I think the biggest question that people have is, does Montreal really feel this is the right move for them? Engels wrote the other day that he's not convinced about that. And I think Montreal is still kind of deciding that. So we'll see. Does this Dubois deal need to get done by the draft? I don't know that it has to, but I really get the sense that does Winnipeg really want this to drag? No, that's why I'm asking. Like, there's we always look for the pressure point moments. There's one right there, and everybody and everybody's together. Like the thing is, for Winnipeg, Hellebuck has a contract. Shifley has a contract. Dubois does not. They didn't take him to arbitration. That says to me they want to sort this out. And if you're LA and you're trying to win the Pacific Division next year in a really tough division, don't you want to know? Yes. You do. And that's why I ask if, you know, the big moment here is going to come next Wednesday in Nashville. All right. A little bit of uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick from 32 Thoughts with a little bit of men at work in the background, if uh, if you notice that. Um, I'm going to see what Ted has to say about uh, all this going on around the Winnipeg Jets. And, of course, look ahead to tomorrow's game with the British Columbia Lions coming up next. And then Rada Chesh from The Athletic a little bit later on. Um, hey, just before we bring in Ted, shout out to our friends at Modern Man Barbershops, now with eight locations in Winnipeg, including the newest locations on Plessy Road and Pamina Highway. Modern Man Barbershops offer a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look via modernmanbarber.com and give them a follow on Instagram at Modern Man Barbershops. Hey, it's 34 degrees yesterday. I'm sure a lot of you are wishing... Man, I'd love to have a pool. Well, you know what? Why don't you make 2023 the year you take the plunge with AquaTech? Visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. And whole home renos start with AquaTech. With thousands of renovations as their foundation, let them upgrade any space in your home. AquaTech's ready to make your reno dreams a reality. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. Well, Manitoba Batteries helping uh, so many of you get out on the water or dominate summer like never before. Obviously had a great response to the boat battery blowout sale last week. And uh, you can see right now those Bluetooth lithium batteries are $5.99 right now. 
$200 savings. Uh, there's amazing savings on pretty much everything. You can count on Manitoba Battery for the best prices in town. You'll be shopping local, saving money, and saving time from the big box stores because whether you need a boat battery, something for a Sea-Doo, lawn tractor, whatever is powering your summer, they'll get it to you for the best price in town and will deliver it for free anywhere in the city of Winnipeg to uh, save you some time. That being said, pop down and see them at 1026 Logan Avenue or find out more on all the great deals going on right now at Manitoba Battery at manitobabattery.com. And just before we bring in Ted Wyman, uh, stay tuned to the show. Might have a couple of Jim Beam social passes for the Bomber game tomorrow against the British Columbia Lions. Of course, Canadian club is Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey and the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Pick up Canadian club at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts or tomorrow at the Rum Hut and Throat IG Field. And don't forget, CC and Ginger Ale premix cocktails also available at the football game tomorrow night. Speaking of the football game, let's uh, head out, I believe, to IG Field. And one Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun joins us now. Teddy, what's up? How are you? I'm doing great, Huss. I'm here in the press box at IG Field. Just had the walkthrough with the Bombers. Uh, talked to Mike O'Shea and Zach Caleros and a host of other players about this big game against the BC Lions, who right now look like the best challengers to the Bombers in the West. No doubt about it. Listen, I do want to get into that game. Uh, just before we talk Bombers, though, uh, I mean, you and the, the team at the Sun has been all over everything happening with the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, uh, what do you make of... Uh, uh, this unprecedented summer and situation the Winnipeg Jets are in right now with the Shifley and Wheeler situation on one side and then really sort of being forced into seeing what the market will bear for Hellebuck and Dubois. Uh, I can't remember a more interesting time, and I know there's a lot of impatience out there, but I really do think that we're going to see, uh, well, in a couple of weeks, we'll look at this Jets roster, and it will probably be significantly different, especially at the top of it, um, than we are right now. Well, it really is anticipation time, isn't it, Hassan? I mean, it's been building a little bit here, uh, but I, you know, I think the only real question right now is, wh- you know, does a big move happen before the draft or at the draft? I, I don't think by the time, you know, maybe even this time next week, we're not going to be seeing the Winnipeg Jets be a team that hasn't made a big move yet because something has to happen. Um, you know, I, I think in anywhere from from one or two to four. Uh, players could be moved out, and there could be a very, very different-looking roster here next season. Um, and you know, we've been talking about this a lot. You've heard from some national reporters that there is, you know, official news that uh, a couple of guys actually want out. Pretty important players like Connor Hellebuck and Pierre-Luc Dubois. But you know, if your hand is forced, sometimes you just got to do what you can to make the right move. And um, this is the kind of this is the situation the Jets are in. The, the, the fact that makes it complicated, of course, and I know you've talked about this many times, is just that maybe you need to make those moves because guys like Dubois and Hellebuck want out, but maybe you also need to make moves with Shifley and Wheeler because you need to change the culture on this team. So it is just uh, you know it's almost like you said unprecedented. There's no better word. It's just you you don't see a situation like this very often where such a large part of the core could be moved in one offseason. Well, and, 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 and I mean, this is a core, and specifically to Shifley and Wheeler, that has been sort of the epicenter of the Winnipeg Jets up front for a decade. Yeah. Um, the, the, Wheeler, the Wheeler stuff is interesting. I mean, we had talked about it last year that they were looking to potentially trade uh, Blake. 
Uh, it didn't happen because there wasn't the appetite to eat a big part of the salary or certainly buy them out. It really does seem, Ted, at least from where I'm sitting right now, that that has changed. Um, when a guy like Dr Drager that is quite tied into Chevy has mentioned a potential buyout on a number of occasions, I mean, yeah, obviously it goes without saying there's a potential buyout. You could potentially buy out anybody. Yeah. But the fact that that is being mentioned as often as it is, it, it, it tells me one way or the other, Blake Wheeler's probably not going to be on this club next year. Uh, if they can get a deal that makes sense and eat, spend a little bit less money eating $4 million of the contract without having to you know, give up assets, I'm sure that they would do that. But the fact that they seemingly are so clearly considering a buyout tells me the option and the decision has been made and how they get to that point uh, remains to be seen. Yeah, and I don't think that you're doing this because he's not a productive player anymore. He actually was no. pretty productive last year. He did have, I think, 61 points, which is a pretty good year. And he didn't even play the whole season. And um, the, the fact is, though, I look back to what Paul Maurice said when he left this organization. He said, this team needs a different voice. He's talking about the coaching staff, but he may as well have been talking about the leadership group with this team as well. And we saw the last season... It, Rick Bonus came in, he stripped the captaincy from Blake Wheeler, and it was a move that, you know, I personally, I think a lot of other people thought was a good move to kind of change the leadership, but it wasn't powerful enough because he didn't name a new captain, and a lot of players at the end of the season talked like Blake was very much still their captain, even if he wasn't wearing the C. If you're going to change the culture, if you're going to change the voice in the room, you have to make that move, and you have to do whatever it takes to move on from Blake Wheeler. I think he's had a great career here in Winnipeg. He's been a loyal player to this team, um, and he's put up very good numbers for the Winnipeg Jets. I'd venture to say where would they be without him because he's been such a strong player over the years. But sometimes you have to move on, and I think the time is now. Yeah, Ted, I, I think that's really well said. Um, and and listen, I think longtime listeners and viewers know I've got a lot of time for what Blake's done. And frankly, at least outwardly, I couldn't be more complimentary of the way he handled losing the C last year. Didn't say anything publicly, went out, continued to play his ass off when he was out there and was pretty productive over the course of the year. My opinion on all of that, though, at least what needs to happen, was kind of cemented in those year-end interviews because... Yeah. I mean, Blake was the guy batting leadoff in the wine line when everyone was all uh, bent out of shape about the way Bones had, you know, had, you know, erupted the way he did. And then a lot of guys kind of followed suit, and it was pretty clear at that point. And then there were more questions to, you know, other guys that are leaders that Blake is still that guy. Um, at a certain point, there's only so much oxygen in the room, right? And it's pretty clear that they need to turn that over and. How they get to that finish line, I think we are going to know in the next week or so. Um, but it is interesting that so many, there's so much discussion outside of this market on a bio to Blake Wheeler, um, especially from some people that have some pretty good ties in to Connor Hellebuck. As far as Dubois goes, um, no, <laughs> listen, we might be the ones that really lose when this trade is made because it is just gas on the fire of the show. Everyone wants to know what's happening every time there's a new report or rumor. But I will say this, it's it's one of the more interesting trade sagas in recent NHL history. When you go back to last summer and the draft, it didn't happen, came back, played this year, 
we now know that you know he's looking to sign a sign and trade deal ted to me this is actually at least from the outside looking in is working out about as well as the jets could have imagined especially if you buy into Drager's report that there is more than Montreal and Los Angeles that are sort of getting in on Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, we talk a lot about the patience of Kevin Sheveldayoff. Time, big picture, isn't really on his side, but as far as this week goes, if he wants to make this deal done before next Wednesday, this is the time to uh, have a bunch of different teams interested and maybe upping their offer to give them the best shot at the player. And that can only be good for Winnipeg, especially when you're including an eight-year extension signed by the Jets before he's dealt has been reported. Well, why wouldn't other teams be interested? I mean, and there are some reasons why not, and I'll say two of them. He didn't really show up that great in the playoffs, in my opinion, and he disappears at times. And secondly, this is the second time he's wanted out from a team. So those are reasons why not. Maybe you don't want to go after him. But if you're going after a player that potentially you're going to have for the next eight years that plays physically in the middle, um, gets under people's skin, can score, can pass, can play on your power play, um, he's gritty, all those things, then who wouldn't want him? I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. I, you know, I've always felt like the biggest issue with Pierre-Luc Dubois for this Winnipeg organization is the overall picture of it, to be honest. It's like they went, they had a second overall pick. They got Patrick Lining. They had a guy to build around, a real potential star, a marketable star, and they decided they wanted to move on from him, and they traded him for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Now, if you lose Pierre-Luc Dubois, depending on the return, of course, <laughs> it's a pretty big punch in the face to you know the people that support this team, the way that that all worked out. And, and that's a big problem with it it's just, you know, it's unfortunate that guys don't necessarily want to play here, that they do want to move on, or that in his case, as he says, he just wants to make the decision himself as to where he plays. You can't really totally blame players for that. It's just too bad that Winnipeg had a, a second round, second overall pick, and they're not getting a long-term player out of it. And so I understand people's disappointment with that for sure. I, I just think if he wants to go, uh, you got to move him and you got to get everything you can from right now. I think Calgary had a pretty good return for Matthew Kachuk, not as good as Matthew Kachuk, no question about it, but a pretty decent return. <laughs> and and maybe with Jonathan Huberdeau, if uh, if uh, Daryl Sutter is not part of the team anymore, he'll come back and play a little bit better. So, you know, I think they have to look at getting a really nice return for some of these players and not rebuilding this team, but just looking different. Well, and, and just as far as Dubois goes to your point about Line, you're exactly right. Like, you know, you know, the job of the general manager is to maximize your value and build the best team. And, you know, he'll be judged on what he gets for Hellebuck and if they trade Shifley. But the Dubois situation is different, at least in the view of the fans. I mean, when that trade was made, I mean, very mixed reaction to it because of how much people loved Patrick Liney and what he'd done in such a short time here in Winnipeg, as well as some of the reasons why people would believe that they would even consider going down that road, which we've talked about plenty on this program in the past. But we said at that time, if Pierre-Luc Dubois does not sign a long-term extension in Winnipeg, this has the potential of being, you know, the sort of trade that costs somebody a job. Now, 
the the story is not written yet, Ted, but the return for Dubois and how it relates to the moves that have been made over the course of the last three years, starting with that trade, I mean, is going to be top of mind and will always be part of Kevin Sheveldayoff's record, one that fans will remember a lot more than pretty much any of the other moves. And I think that's why the pressure on Chevy for that trade in particular, amongst all of them, is maybe elevated. And uh, another reason why there's so much attention on this player and uh, the drama surrounding it. Oh, there's no doubt about it. But uh, no, no GM with a gun to his head is in a good position, of course, because every team out there knows that his hand is being forced. So can you get the optimal return in that scenario? Well, well, you mentioned one thing that makes me believe that they can get that, and that's that there's more than than just a couple of teams interested. You know, if it were just the Montreal Canadiens that were interested, and that's the only team you wanted to go to, well, then your hands would really be tied. But if you've got other teams that are willing to up the, up the offer, throw in more, really give the Jets a chance to still be a, a contending team for a playoff spot um, with the return, then you're doing all right. But yeah, I, I do think that will be defining. I'm not sure in my mind that it makes any difference because everything with Kevin Chivaldeoff, everything that's happened to this point hasn't really led to you know much repercussions for him. But um, I think in fans' mind, there will be a lot of eyes on that. And even more so, if you're going to trade one of the best goaltenders of this generation, um, to, you know, no matter where he goes, and goalies hold weirdly different value. I mean, he's one of the best players in the NHL. You should get one of the best players in the NHL in return. Uh, I don't know that that is going to happen, but you know, there really should be something significant coming back for a player like that. You can't. I don't think it can just be all about draft picks. I don't think this team can afford to go into a rebuild because if you do, um, given the fan situation the last few years, the, the the fact that people aren't as willing to part with their money to go to these games, you know, that gets even worse if you drop into what people consider rebuild mode. I, I do so. have a theory. I do have a theory, though, that there's a big part of this club, uh, the fan base, that maybe has been staying aware that it's soured on it, that just feels these moves are so overdue. Maybe. It's driven them crazy the last couple of years. And listen, I think this fan base is pretty intelligent. I think they're dialed in. I think they realize the ups and downs, the cyclical nature of winning in the National Hockey League. And I'm not necessarily completely buying into the fact that if they did... Now, listen, if we're talking about a scorched-earth rebuild where you're trading Connor and Ehlers and trying to be the worst team in the league, yeah, okay, for sure. But I do think this team can get younger. I think it can get more energetic, maybe a little less experienced. I think it can create a new identity. And I think that can be something that gets the fans back, whether or not they're a playoff team next year, as long as people believe in the path and the future that the team's going and the direction under the current management. And all of that, to be honest, in a lot of ways is going to be determined in the next couple of weeks, depending on how this team looks coming into the beginning of July. Ted Wyman's with us down at IG field. Teddy, let's get to the bombers though. Um, Two and zero on the season. The offense has absolutely been rolling a great defensive performance in week one. Not quite as much. I would say, in week two, although credit to Trevor Harris and the way he played. Um, but, man, we got another doozy going up against the British Columbia Lions in a battle for first place uh, Thursday night. Should be a good one. Yeah, absolutely, Huss. Uh, you know, this is an interesting game because 
uh, it was the same scenario last year when the Lions were 2-0, and the Bombers were 2-0, and the Bombers went into BC and Nathan Roy. Maybe you're looking at the two top quarterbacks in the league. In fact, I think we were the two top quarterbacks in the league. Zach Caleros went in there and absolutely did a number on the BC Lions. Uh, he never would admit it, but I don't think he liked it at all that people were saying that Rourke was the best quarterback in the league, taking over that spot. And I and I think the Bombers didn't like it at all that the BC Lions were suddenly this team that was going to uh, potentially be beating them out for first place in the West Division. And they went and they absolutely did a number on the Lions. I'll be very interested to see if the scenario is similar here tomorrow. Um, the Lions have played fantastic defense so far this year, Huss. They've only given up 15 points. I mean, they shut out the Edmonton Elks last week. I'm not sure that's saying much. The Elks are not good. They don't have a good quarterback. Um, their, their situation is very, very dire there when it comes to their offense in Edmonton. But, the, you know, the Lions only needed 22 points to win that game because they gave up none. And that's going to present a bigger challenge to this Blue Bomber team than anything, I think, is how strong BC's defense is, especially their defensive backs. Winnipeg's had really strong receivers working with Zach Caleros in terms of, uh, you know, having guys like Dalton Schoen, Drew Walkarski has been excellent so far, Nick Dembski. <clears throat> excuse me, and he and, and they're going up against guys like Gary Peters, TJ Lee, and Mar Marcus Sales, and those guys are all all-stars, so there's a matchup that I think is going to be really great, and I know the Bombers are pretty pumped up about the opportunity to play a, a team like this that's pretty strong across the board. Yeah, of course, uh, 7.30 kickoff tomorrow night at IG Field. Princess Auto tailgate zone gets going at 5.30 p.m., um, and by the way, pushing 500 here in chat. If you just popped in, great to have you with us. Hit that red subscribe button. Join us daily, Monday to Friday, 1 p.m. here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And hit the thumbs up as well while you're at it. Great to see the comments in the chat as well. Dallas Pauls, is that Ted at Bomber Practice? Ted absolutely is at Bomber Practice. Oh, well, I guess wasn't as much a practice today, Ted, as a walkthrough. Yeah. Um, what'd you see today? And were there any individuals missing? That uh, means that we might not see them uh, suited up for tomorrow night's game. Yeah, so it's interesting. The Bombers, uh, uh, you know, they've listed Brady Oliveira as a game-time decision. What I saw was in the walkthrough that they did in all of the walkthrough scenarios offensively, Brady was the guy who was um, doing the, the reps, and it was not Johnny Augustine. My guess is Brady Oliveira is going to play tomorrow. He was made available to the media um, it just seems most likely. Now, there's been, Michael Shea's done weirder things uh, to try to. Pretty much ready with Johnny Augustine as well. And they actually left a roster spot open. They only listed 44 players on their roster for the game tomorrow. There is one spot open. If Brady can't play, that spot will go to Greg McRae, who's the American running back. He'll come in and then he will get reps. Uh, spelling off Johnny Augustine in that, that situation. So there is some things to watch for, but they have up until 30 minutes before the game tomorrow to make that game time decision. So we might not know if there's a roster change until then. Uh, as far as the receiving core, Kenny Lawler still on the suspended list. Uh, they given any updates or information on that, or is that still a, a work in progress amongst the, uh, the authorities? And that's not really much on the, uh, on the beat of following the team. It seems like it's a don't ask us, we'll let you know kind of situation because they did say 
in their original press release that it could be three or four weeks. We're at week three now. There was some, certainly at the beginning of the season, there was some hope maybe that three weeks would be soon enough for him to come and play in this game. But obviously, that wouldn't make any sense. He'd at least, least need a week of practice. There's been no update about it, um, but there's also been nothing to indicate that it's going to take longer. Uh, but you, you don't know, right? This is an immigration situation. It's lawyers. It's, uh, it's Canada Border Services involved, and it's not necessarily something that's their highest priority. So uh, it's a wait-and-see kind of situation. I don't think it's – I'm not saying that, that having Kenny Lawler won't make them better. It will. But I don't feel like there's been any drop-off with this team, even without him. Well, and, and, and I mean, you know, first week, Nick Dembski was the star. And, man, how about that performance that Dalton shown last week? And uh, just quick update, we do expect Dalton shown to be part of the roster tomorrow against BC? Yeah, absolutely. He's listed on the roster. He's been banged up. You know, he didn't. He, he sat out quite a bit of training camp. He's, I think he sat out every week at least one practice to this point. But, you know, it's, this is the way Mike O'Shea operates with his team. If a guy who's he considers a veteran and i mean shones was a rookie last year but he's a veteran believe me and and you know if a guy is he needs some rest he needs to be held out they don't have any problem with holding them out and then throwing them in the lineup because they know how well prepared these guys are and how uh, much work they put into being ready for these games so i i think he's going to be in there um he was a little bit questionable last week because of a ankle injury i think it's a hip now um, but he, he was a little bit questionable last week, and he went off for 145 yards. They threw him the ball 12 times last week. I mean, that is a pretty big indication of how important he is to this offense. Ted, great stuff as always. Uh, just to give the Bomber fans a quick fill uh, preview, uh, if you will, on uh, what you guys have in the uh, paper tomorrow. Always a, a great Bomber section when the team's playing at home. Uh, thanks, Hus. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you know, I always do a advanced look ahead of the games, which will take into account the Blue Bomber side and the Lions side. We're expecting Vernon Adams and Gary Peters and Rick Campbell to come and join us here in the press box soon and have a chat with them. And um, and of course, we've got Zach Caleros, Michael Shea's thoughts on it, Willie Jefferson. And I'm going to do a, a feature on a player named Abu Darme Soare, who is going to start at boundary cornerback, rookie boundary cornerback because Winston Rose is injured. Mario Houston is away for personal reasons. We're not sure exactly what's going on there. And here comes a guy who's going to come in and play. And I liked his, I loved his quote today. He said, the six-year-old inside of me is jumping up and down even if I look calm outside, on the outside. <laughs> I cannot wait to read it and really looking forward to the game tomorrow night. Ted, thanks for doing this. Let's catch up again soon. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Has Have a great day. Good stuff. There is Ted Wyman from the Winnipeg Sun. Always love having Ted on the program. And again, game tomorrow, 7.30 p.m. And uh, stay tuned. I'm going to check the inbox, but might have a wheel of winners today or on game day for a few Jim Beam social passes to the game if you don't already have tickets. We're going to talk more on the Jets with Murata Tesh coming up in just a second. Folks, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, Get on down to one of seven Vita Health Fresh Market stores or online at myvita.ca, also featuring Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products. Barbecue season's in full swing. Vita Health is stocked up with delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beefsteaks for your barbecues. And with and uh, with Father's Day just passed, men's health still top of mind. Garden of Life has some unique formulas like Prostate Protect and Once Daily Men's to support 
men's gastrointestinal health. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Pop by and see them at one of seven locations or online with local delivery options at myvita.ca. How is your uh, fence looking, folks? Wallace & Wallace are Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists. And if your property needs the security and protection of a new fence or if winter banged up your old one, give them a call because they've got vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they carry Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors as well. 452-2700 is the number. The Wallace team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also find out more or visit them online at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. I mentioned, you know, we're into the summer right now. Wedding season is here. How's the closet looking, fellas? Are you ready for summer? And, of course, looking ahead into fall, if you need to up your menswear game, you need to get on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. 15% discount for wedding parties. So if you're looking to uh, look great for the big day, bring the fellas down and take advantage of that deal at F Apparel. You can do it all at 190 Smith Street downtown. Find out more online or make an appointment at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And man, 34 yesterday, I can tell you that Nick and Nikki were very busy at the four Nick and Nikki DQs, and it's the good kind of blizzard season right now. Hot summer temperatures and the best ice cream treats around at Nick and Nikki DQ. All the summer blizzard flavors are in right now. Try one today with the family. Pop by and see them at DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, or DQ Neverville. All right. Back to the... Uh, Soap opera that is the offseason of the Winnipeg Jets, and we welcome in Murata Tesh of The Athletic. Murat, what's good? How are you, my friend? Hey, doing well. No soaps, just hockey, right? <laughs> hey, it's a little bit of everything. Um, listen, there's a bunch of places that we could go. Um, I, let's just start off with the Wheeler situation because I, I won't spend a ton of time on this. The more I hear guys like Drager mention a buyout possibility, even when not prompted, like, you know, just offering that up tells me that whether he's traded or whether there is a a buyout by uh, the 30th of next week, that there has been an organizational decision that this team will be looking different and Blake Wheeler will probably be moving on. Are you with me on that or uh, less convinced that that is actually going to play out that way? I'm convinced. I'm convinced that Winnipeg Jets fans should be preparing themselves for a future without Blake Wheeler on the Winnipeg Jets. And it's going to be the end of an era in a lot of ways. He has some tremendous fans. He has some critics. One thing that you can't argue is he chose Winnipeg through the heart of his career. And at this point, I don't think the best fit is here. So I think the organization and Wheeler and everybody involved, all the key parties, I think that they're on the same page now and, and that it's, I'm not saying imminent, like, you know, check your watch, check Twitter right this second, but I don't think Blake Wheeler is going to be back, and I think that decision has been made. Yeah, and listen, I know the way this organization does business, and I think that they do want to do Blake right for the incredible time that he's been here, his commitment to the organization and the club and the city, all of that. There might be a trade that can be worked out to a team that he'd be willing to go to. I think he's got, you can give him a list of five or six but honestly, what might be doing him right? And again, the optics of it might not be there when it actually happens. But to be bought out 
and to be able to go wherever he can negotiate a deal and wherever he thinks is the best fit for him and his family as he finishes his career, you know, might be them doing him a service as well, in addition to doing what they feel they need to do to move this team forward into a new identity with new leaders. I mean, it really depends on what the trade market looks like. And, you know, I think if there was uh, just a just a rabid trade market for Blake Wheeler, well, you might have seen a move last season. Yeah. I've thought that, okay, one year left on his deal, uh, that's less money to eat. Uh, it's less risk if, uh, if he's not the player the team hopes that he'll be, even if there's salary retained. I thought, especially after the season that he's had, and by, you know, he kept his point totals high. He's one of Winnipeg's most effective players during the playoffs, uh, which says something about some of the other guys you expect to be, but he brought it every night. There was no effort lost on his part. So I would have thought, okay, well, maybe that helps his trade case. I guess there is such thing as a trade situation that is so optically unappealing that it's better and cleaner and easier to buy him out. I hadn't really considered that as a likelihood, but I think everything's on the table for the Winnipeg Jets and Blake Wheeler's exit. I just think that they're going to move forward with that exit plan. Uh, do you think it matters at all to the team whether they're eating $4 million of the cost this year and have it off the books for next season? Or do the buyout and it's 2.75 this year and next? I think that because there's there's raw cash involved and there's a substantial difference between 50% of the salary, just over $4 million, and then 2.75 times 2 is 5.5. Like, I think the organization would love to not have to spend the extra million if, uh, if they could just to pay Blake Wheeler not to play for them. Um, but... I don't know that that's the be-all and end-all of the decision. I do think that one of the things that True North and the Winnipeg Jets is really, I don't want to say desperate for because nobody's said that, but really longs for is a sense of legacy, a sense of legacy. And that Dale Howarchuk statue was a, a key moment in Jets history, I think, in terms of choosing who they're going to tribute. Well, Blake Wheeler was the captain of the team for so many years was a leader on a team that went to the Winnipeg's greatest heights in 2.0 history, um, chose the team, signed you know multiple contracts in Winnipeg. And if the Jets had the choice, they'd celebrate him and fet him and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I think that's what's most important to them now uh, is my guess um, that it's, okay, well, hey, if the dollar's this way or that way, or even the fact that they would be eating some cap hit next year, which in the case of a buyout, which they wouldn't have to if they traded with salary retained, um, I think they're just going to do what it takes to make the cleanest exit. Trade would be preferable, but it's not the only out. Um, so let's assume that this happens. Um, how how does or does it change Mark Shifley's situation with the Winnipeg Jets in your mind? Um, it's an interesting one. You know, like I, I continue to see Mark Shifley as the last domino to fall. And I don't know if that means that it's this summer or if it's mid season. And I know that like, I think I'm the only one banging on that drum. So, you know, it, it may not be so likely. I just think that, you know, with the Wheeler resolution coming quickly, I think, or at least, you know, in the next several days, maybe as soon, maybe sooner than that with Pierre-Luc Dubois coming down the pipe, and with Connor Hellebuck, a likely move this summer as well, Mark Shifley is the one guy who, depending on what he wants in his heart, which may be a clean break, let's be honest, depending on what he wants, it may make sense to explore 
a short-term extension or even riding it out until most of his cap hit is eaten heading into that trade deadline. Because I think the theory is Mark Shifley has his own set of strengths and weaknesses, but he's a quality center who does a lot of things right, particularly offensively. And maybe, just maybe, in a turnover of, of Jets' room and Jets' culture to the next generation, that there may be some relaxation on his part. I'm not sure that that's the case. I think Mark Shifley is who he is at this stage of the game, and that means a lot of great things. And uh, But also, perhaps he'd like to move on, and perhaps the Jets would consider moving on. I'm less committed to knowing exactly what his future is than perhaps the other three. The one thing that I will say is that if he does come back, um, knowing that you know he's on the final year of his contract, I mean, he will and absolutely should be motivated to have an incredible season going into free agency. Um, the way things ended last year with Rick Bonus to me is a problem. I mean, I, I have never been more sure that the end was near for Shifley as a Jet jersey as when I heard Rick Bonus speak after the San Jose game and down the stretch to the point where he was moved to the wing after disappearing for those couple of weeks after they got benched against the Devils, I believe. So even with Wheeler out of the picture, I don't know whether they can really achieve their goal of truly kind of buying in and moving on from the past, getting a new identity. And I also think that could be very problematic for the head coach because uh, it certainly was at the end of last season. Well, I guess the sense is then that, that Mark Shifley is a stubborn player who at times does not just say, okay, yes, coach, I'm going to do it exactly that way. And perhaps when criticized or benched or, you know, what have you in those regards, he's not always going to take that in the best way. And I think that Rick Bone has found that during the Carolina benching. I think that there's been a little bit of back and forth. Though I think the overall of it was better between those two this year than, say, you know, the Dave Lowry and Mark Shifley situation last year where, you know, I never got the sense that they agreed as to what the best way to play hockey would be. Um, and even towards the end of Paul Maurice's era, it was clear that, I mean, Shifley's offensive greatness was eroded by his defensive disinterest. And I thought that that was a, a coach versus player situation as well because he's such a capable player. Um, so I guess... That challenge exists for Mark Shifley, whether he's a Winnipeg Jet or whether he's not. And you, like, as you believe, like they move on from him in that example. I just think that despite despite that sort of clear trend over multiple co coaches at this point, I don't know that Rick Bonus or Mark Shifley said anything that couldn't be walked back. I mean, even after Shifley took. Um, the I don't know what my future is going to hold approach last offseason. All it took was a, a sunny golf course interview in the summer to put everything back on track. And by training camp, he was saying, well, gosh, this coach is communicating with me better than than anyone before. Um, so I don't know if it's a it's it's a guaranteed point of no return. I do know that I think Shifley has had some pretty just horrible endings to his seasons in Winnipeg with injury, injury, suspension, and hasn't been able to close out a playoff series, man, that would be a frustrating situation. And like, maybe the time is now um, for him to move on. Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't help the feeling. And I mean, you do make a good point. Everything sure sounded great at the beginning of last season and the results were there for the club. But unfortunately, I mean, the clock struck midnight, if you will, and we got the real situation in the second half of the year where the team wasn't playing well. And unfortunately, not for the first time, Mark Shifley 
looked like he was putting himself above the team, above the wishes of the head coach, and what pretty much everyone was trying to do. He wasn't buying into that. If it didn't happen with Dave Lowry and it didn't happen with Rick Bonus, I mean, you'd have to be really confident that it's all about the contract year and getting his value up that he's going to do what it needs to do. I guess the other part of it, though, is you do wonder. I mean, a lot of people talk around this league, and I do think his reputation's taken a bit of a hit around it. And I think for him, the opportunity to go somewhere new with somewhat of a fresh start, knowing what's at stake for him going in next season in unrestricted free agency if he doesn't sign a, a long-term deal with his new team um, would be the best case scenario for Mark, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I do this game sometimes where, like, you know, just knowing what we know publicly or privately in terms of media, our, you know, interactions and that, what would I do if I were in their shoes? And sometimes empathy is real and it leads to insight. And sometimes it's just me projecting and it has nothing to do with the way. <laughs> so, like, let's be real here. But if I were if I were Mark Shifley at this stage and there was the way that seasons have ended of late and this sense of, OK, well, six million for just such a tremendous production over the last several years or what have you, um, the various what I believe to be moments of tension between the way he wants the team to play and the way his coaches have asked for it as well. I think I would be ready for a fresh start. I think I'd be ready to pursue a dream. I think I'd be ready to to look elsewhere for, well, hey, I want to win and I want to put up an, you know as a lot of points and get paid and uh, all those sorts of things. And um, it might be harder to sell that Winnipeg is that place right now. So I I think I see, I think I understand at least the appeal of a fresh start, a clean break. And even towards the, you know, the playoffs, I was writing with that sort of in mind as well, because it just makes sense as a, a 30-year-old man, right? He's come into his own as a human being at this stage. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, he's got one year uh, before signing what will likely be the last real significant contract of his career. We've certainly heard on his side of things that maybe a fresh start would be good. I, I don't think the Winnipeg Jets would be in a situation to try to extend Mark. I mean, I think for the same sort of reasons that Blake's probably on the way out, Mark is as well. And, but he had 42 goals last year, so certainly uh, we'll start getting to Shifley trade talk, I think, after the first two dominoes fall. And that, of course, is Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and Connor Hellebuck. Let's get to Dubois. We've heard reports, and again, this from Drager yesterday, and again, believe what you want right now because there's a lot of things that happen in and around the draft that are machinations of either an agent trying to get a guy out or a team trying to crank up interest. We know Montreal is there. We've heard that the Kings are making a serious run and now maybe a couple more teams in the mix as well. What's uh, What are your stringers telling you right now about the Dubois situation, Marat? And as we are now a week away from the first round of the draft, how do you see this uh, this playing out over the next uh, the next few days? Yeah, I I am a cynic. I am a cynic. I am a cynic. So you go back a couple months, and Darren Dreger tweets that the Winnipeg Jets are going to do everything in their power to re-sign Pierre Luc Dubois long term. I think that that was a true fact. I think it came from the Winnipeg Jets, and I think that the moment it was shared. It was the first in a long line of communications that was already at that day going to end with Winnipeg did everything they could. Dubois wanted out there as a trade. So like there, I, I agree with you that sometimes it makes sense to at least like, and, and that's not picking on Dreger specifically, but in the industry, sometimes it makes sense to ask, okay, who's tweeting this? Where is it coming from? And why might it be valuable to say right now? Um, so 
in this particular situation, I do think that um, that the list of teams is longer than than Montreal and Los Angeles. How serious are the asks or negotiations with those other teams? I don't know. I actually don't. I, I have no sense of that. But I do have the sense that there's optimism that a trade will be done. I do have the sense that Los Angeles continues to be a front runner. I don't know what hoops Montreal would have to jump through because I think Elliot Friedman has reported this, and it's something that I've been told as well, that if Kirby Duck could have been the centerpiece of a trade, if Montreal was content with that, that may have already happened. Last summer, heck, it might have been Winnipeg who wasn't content with the idea because he hadn't come into his own yet. But if you're trying to bridge the gap of value, I'm not sure how to make it done. So, okay, you talk about a bidding war, you talk about other teams, and I believe that most teams, I know the reputation of Dubois is sullied as well. He wants out of a second city, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to he's about to turn 25. Whatever contract he signs is going to be the heart of his career. He's inching towards more consistency as the years go by, though he did take a two-month nosedive towards most of the back half of the season. He averages out to somewhere between a second line and a first line center. That guy's got value. There's no way around that to me. That that player helps teams. And when Winnipeg watches him go, there will be a substantial hole in the roster such that they might even have to consider keeping Shifley, which I don't think is the front burner issue. It just depends on when you get back. That's a substantial player. So could there be a bidding war? Yeah. Um, do I believe that there's a PR aspect to this as well as the team and the player want to make a make a sense that there's a real market here? I think it benefits everybody if there's a belief that 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 there is such a bidding war. And maybe there are details that I don't know. And certainly there would be details I don't know in that case. I just think that uh, for now, I'm slow to buy into that one. Um, you know... Uh... Listen, the Habs are such a fascinating part of this story because of, well, last summer. And, I mean, his agent very uncharacteristically mentioning that he'd like to play there at some point. And, you know, we all know the draft was there in Montreal. He was apparently there. Um, What sense do you get of the actual demand from Montreal for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Because your colleague, Arpin, uh, you know, has you know, an article up at the athletic right now. And the title is why the criteria for a Dubois trade makes it unlikely he lands in Montreal. And I'll tell you what, I went on with Tony Marinero and my inbox was flooded for three days with an incredibly split fan, uh, Habs fan base on whether they even want Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, listen, the fans aren't going to be making the decisions. It's going to be management, but it, it's fascinating. I mean, to me, it's not just a slam dunk that they say, okay, this is a guy that we absolutely want and we're even close to giving up the price that the Winnipeg Jets want to move off from the player. Yeah, well, if you're Montreal, you may have rightfully thought at one point, like, geez, we're so far in front of this one that we can wait it out. Like, you may have had that level of confidence. And also, with the timing of Montreal's, I want to, I don't know if rebuild is the word they use in, in Montreal right now, but they had a, an ability to be patient and wait for to see what Doc became, to see Cole Caulfield grow, to see Nick Suzuki reach those heights that he's, that he's reaching. Um, there was maybe not that kind of urgency last summer. And um, I think that that may, that may have the impact to keep Montreal in a, well, we're not going to pay premium assets for this player, especially if his contract demands are, um, you know, as, as high as they're reported to be somewhere between eight and 9 million, depending on the situations. Um, and I get that. I get that. Especially when the player's league-wide reputation forcing his way out of two teams at this point, 
Um, and then when you disappear for two months at the end of even what averages out to be a very, very good season, um, there are questions about your heart and your consistency and all those sorts of things. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is actually quite a lot closer to the player that, that, that teams would want at this stage than at any point in this process. I think he's shown a lot of on-ice growth, but he's fighting uphill against that reputation and maybe rightfully so for a while until he does it for 82 games and playoffs. And when you're going up against that in terms of optics, why wouldn't, why would a fan be like, okay, let's pay him 9 mil and give one of our top prospects and a first round pick and, and this for this guy that we're not sold on. And we thought we could have for free anyways. I just think that's missing the mark on the fact that he's taken some steps on the ice that I, that I think that we should be impressed by. Yeah, well, as I've said before, uh, if um, they're talking to other teams about getting Dubois, they need to show the video of game one of the playoffs where he absolutely dominated that game against the Vegas Golden Knights, was the best player on the ice and put a team on his back to win and burn the tapes at game five. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. we're, we're yeah. talking about the two ends of the spectrum, and that is part of the enigma at times that is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, just quickly on the Kings, um, I mean, I've sort of had a dream scenario where Quinton Byfield's a player coming back, and it's been interesting to hear a guy like Friedman mention, you know, if they're into Dubois, where does that leave Byfield with the no sign for four more years, Kopitar with another year, and presumably Kopitar staying to finish out of his career, even at the end of his contract. Um, I'm not sure whether Byfield is a realistic, although I feel better about that now than I maybe would have a month or two ago. Um, but what do you make of, if it is going to be the Kings, where Kevin Sheveldayoff and the Winnipeg Jets are narrowing in on a focus of the ask and a potential deal to get Dubois to Hollywood? You know, I on the surface of it, I think I'd be quite impressed if Byfield was part of the return. I'm like you, Huss. I didn't think, you know, a month ago, I wouldn't have used that name in any of the suggested trade packages or anything because I think that that's a player picked extremely high in the draft um, who... Sounds familiar. Big... <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was a big riser in his draft year as well. Um, you know, <clears throat> has so much of the of the package that I think that LA was looking for in that spot. And the one time I've been in a room with Quinton Byfield, it was in an elevator in Los Angeles when he was still wearing a, a boot or an ankle brace or what have you, which is reflective of uh, some of the injury troubles that he's had between draft day and, and sort of cementing himself as a key part of the Los Angeles Kings. Um, I don't think that Kings fans, let's say, I don't know about the Kings themselves, I don't think they're thrilled with the relative lack of offensive totals that he's put up at this stage, considering where he was picked in the draft. But at the same time, this... Um, I, I still think that he's so young and comes with such promise and you can point at the injury and you can do that sort of thing. And it seems a little early to give up on a player like that, even for a Dubois caliber player. So I would hesitate on that. Um, and that's why I continue to point to Gabriel Velarde as a centerpiece of a package. Um, I'm not concerned about, say, say Byfield becomes amazing and you have Dubois and Kopitar sticks around and you have Deno. Well, then you have four-sixths of your top six sorted and you have uh, centers who can do basically a little bit of everything. Move one of them to the third line and you're overwhelming teams if you have to. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the good, great centers can can find success in a lineup, I think. Anyway, so all to say, Byfield would be exciting. I think it would be a great coup for Winnipeg. At the same time, I think even Velarde's quality, if you build the right package around him. 
Marat Atesh of The Athletic is uh, with us. Uh, Marat's going to be very busy over the next week uh, writing about this Winnipeg Jets team. And Connor Hellebuck, uh, you know, save the best for last. The guy that's been the backbone of the franchise. And again, it pains me to even talk about trading him because uh, he has been, um, I mean, a guy that I think has earned his spot amongst the elite of NHL goaltenders. But listen, if he's not re-signing here, you know what you got to do. And that is make a move. Um, what are you hearing about Hellebuck? And uh, I- interesting, the report from your colleague Pierre Lebrun yesterday on the interest of the New Jersey Devils. But like with any team, if they're thinking about getting him and extending him, what is that going to cost? And what does that do to, um, you know, a potential return for Winnipeg? Yeah, I think Connor Hellebuck is going to be a case study for a lot of things this summer. Because the moment, you know, he- New Jersey has needs in goal. That is a fact. It absolutely does. That and perhaps the one thing holding them back last season. They were a phenomenal team, took big steps, all, all that sort of thing. But they signed Jesper Bratt for a reasonable contract. They're working with Timo Meyer to 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 lock him up long term as well. That was part of the plan in acquiring Timo Meyer at the deadline. And you look at that team, the young up-and-coming players at just about every position, the quality that they already have, and you say, well, they're really only goaltending away from greatness. And I sincerely believe that. I think that makes them exactly the kind of team that should be interested in Connor Hellebuck services. So that makes sense. If you're Connor Hellebuck too, and you're looking at that, and you're like, wow, you know, I can slot myself right in there and like imagine the success that we would have. I think that would make a lot of sense too. It'd be kind of like dropping him onto the Edmonton Oilers roster who don't have the cap space to make something happen without drastic moves but they sort of have everything else sorted out almost at this stage of their their development. Even LA might be able to say that depending on Corpus Allo's future. New Jersey is the perfect case of that though, where they have everything but, and there's nobody close, I think, um, to, to that ability. So the other thing though, and Pierre writes this in his piece at The Athletic today, the Devils have a relatively progressive front office, right? Tyler Dello has a substantial role there. I believe Matt Cain does as well. There's some, I think there's some, progressive analytics forward voices i think in in that uh in that decision making area and when i when i think about that i think that most of the league and this is a numbers based argument has moved towards tandems in recent years the idea of paying a goaltender 8 9 10 million into his 30s is you know is declining and i looked at this uh, so i haven't written this cuz maybe it's not compelling so sorry but <laughs> the uh the number of goalies who played substantial workloads, like if you set your cutoff at 60 games played or more, it actually stays almost stable from the in the entire salary cap era until just the last couple of years. You can really see a tipping point a couple of years back where the most recent two seasons, more and more teams are buying into the tandem idea. So Connor Hellebuck's hitting this trade market at maybe the one moment you wish you wouldn't have to trade him because I don't know that teams are going to value that as highly and it's going to come to either somebody, whether it's New Jersey or otherwise, saying, well, f- pardon me, fuck it. We need the best one, right? You've done that while shopping before, right? Well, like, okay, just get the best one. Yeah. Or Connor Hallibuck's going to have to readjust his contract expectations in order to fit into a winner. Well, um, listen, that that certainly is, is completely legitimate. It might be the case. Um, and that happens with players regardless of position. The one thing I will say with the trend um, of more teams going with sort of split shared. I would suggest on the other side of it, the reason for that is, is that there's hardly any Connor Hellebucks out there. 
I mean, the bottom line is there's a very small group of workhorse elite goaltenders that you can count on being at a certain level for pretty much close to 60, 65 games a year. And I don't think there's a general manager in the National Hockey League that would not prefer to have that guy as opposed to making a decision between one or two. I mean, Paul Maurice did say, and I, I always enjoyed this quote, and it's true, it's great to be able to get to the office every day and not even have to think about the number you're putting on the board for the guy in the blue paint. Hey, I guess I believe that. I do believe that actually that goaltending for NHL players or coaches and, and players alike is about vibes. Like the reason why just even when his numbers were awful, Carey Price was number one on everybody's who would you want in game seven list was because they trust him. There's a feeling of trust earned through reputation. But I would also like good power to them. And maybe I should look more towards their perspective in terms of guessing the outcome of this. You see Andre Vasilevsky's numbers take a swoon midway through this season. At the end of last, or sorry, at the end of the year, he's talking about how year over year fatigue played a role in that as well. Um, Kerry Price, whose name I just mentioned, he had you know a few mid 30 seasons where he was getting paid an awful lot of money not to deliver the same quality goalie goalieing, um, and he was able to put it together for that cup run as well. And credit to him. And I know that. Um, you know, he's not playing right now, obviously, either. But I think that as a goalie in that tier, he's the comparison point you look to. I think that depending on the length of that deal, and if it's meant to be max term, as I assume Hellebuck would want in terms of setting himself up, um, there's just so much risk in it. I I would be less willing to pay big money, big assets for Connor Hellebuck today than I think the league would have been five years or ten years ago. Having Aiden Hill come off the bench as what the third or fourth guy on their goaltending depth chart, playing the way he did and win the cup, uh, probably doesn't help the uh, help the cause either. Yeah, it's it's about it's not about this. No, having the best goalie wins you the most games overall, and that's the best available starting point. But in terms of trying to time a Stanley Cup, I mean, whose goalie is hot at that time? It's not as easy to predict. If you go into the math of it, even the elites like will go through portions of their season where their numbers are below average or amongst the worst. And like if you look at a two-week sample, you can find that even amongst the very best goalies who are worth their money. And sometimes it goes the other way. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of heroic goaltending stories over the years um, who were able to do it for a short term. Curious to see what Aiden Hill can do now too because I think he's quality. I just mean like, Sometimes shit happens in the best way possible. Um, Marat, just while we're talking about Hellebuck, um, and, and maybe we'll focus in on New Jersey for a minute because it was interesting. We had Wyshynski on, who's a big Devils guy, and he had said, get us Hellebuck right now. Here's Jesper Bratt and Vachanek. Done deal. Thank you very much. Well, Bratt's now signed a long-term extension with, uh, with Jersey, so I can't imagine that would be part of the package. I mean, there's a few pretty exciting young players or young pieces for that team. I mean, Dawson Mercer, who was a 2020 uh, first-rounder, had 27 goals, still on his ELC. After a season like that, I think he's probably pretty close to untouchable. And then you've got Simon Nemec, who was, what, fourth overall pick last year, a 19-year-old defenseman. I mean, there are some pieces that you know would be the ask, but I do wonder specifically in this case, whether New Jersey, based on their management and what you've said before, would be willing to come off one of those prized pieces, albeit to get one of the best goaltenders in hockey. 
Yeah, if they believe that Hellebuck is the best and will deliver the best, then I don't think it's quote unquote unprogressive to trade top prospects for that player if they believe that the window has arrived. And I think of like, I don't know if New Jersey thinks this way, but one of the ways that that I think is that I think we're in when in Winnipeg we've talked always about you know or Blake Wheeler would always say we're a young team we're a young team. But if you wait for everybody to grow up beyond a certain point, you're a little bit unwieldy cap-wise, right? Like you have your wheelers at 8.25 or maybe Meyer or um, uh, or Brat are paid and all of those sorts of things. And your, your cap situation changes. And I think that maybe the more progressive play is to make a big push while you're really good and cap efficient because you can fit more quality onto the roster. If New Jersey feels that that's what's happening now and I don't have their cap situation in front of me, that maybe some of their young players have yet to get paid and they're still kind of some guys are paying, getting paid big money and some guys aren't at this stage, then it might actually be the more progressive thing to go on, go for it a little bit earlier in the window than maybe some other people might say. Um, you know, you don't want to be the Edmonton Oilers. I use them as an example, staring down Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid's contracts coming to an end, and you haven't found a balanced cap team the entire time that they've been around. I think you want to time it a little bit better. New Jersey has the opportunity to do that. So for me, it comes down to a question of, do they sincerely believe that he is the goods for the for the purposes that they that they would need him for? Um, and if if you're at the hey, we got to get the best, then I wouldn't think that they wouldn't be willing to pay the best either. Hey, just one more on Hellebuck. I mean, obviously we were just mentioning Jersey because of Pierre's report yesterday. Um, whether it's from <clears throat> things that you've heard on the grapevine or just looking around the league. Is there a couple of other teams or potential landing spots that you think would make real sense for Hellebuck and potentially might make for a good trade partner with Winnipeg? You know, no one that I can zero in on with a whole lot of confidence. And I just realized, by the way, Huss, I said a moment ago, you're not going to get as much for Hellebuck as you normally would. And then I'm like, New Jersey, why wouldn't they pay the most? So we're going to have to think this one through. If you're, if you're, you know, criticize what I've said, by all means, pick that apart. Um, the, the market for Hellebuck should be good. And I think that there's a few situations where um, teams who have had tandems have some guys approaching free agency, whether restricted free agents or unrestricted. I think Carolina wants to go back to the Anderson and Ranto well. I think that they were happy with the cap structure that they had there. But if you could pluck Connor Hellebuck and put him on that roster for a reasonable price tag, especially the 6.17 he makes this year, um, you'd get an awful lot of value delivered for that acquisition, especially on a team like Carolina. Um, so that's an example. I wonder, you know, it's it's kind of fun to be like, okay, well, Toronto's under new management, Pittsburgh's under new leadership, uh, Ottawa's ownership just changed. All of those teams could theoretically use a goaltending upgrade, and it's just a matter of, well, they do have guys on their team. They do have useful pieces as well. Um, would they, how interested in making the, the big splash for the shiniest, best, Vezina winner slash two-time runner-up. I don't think he's winning it this year. I don't know the truth about that. But, like, I think that those are compelling stories to tell for sure anyways. Yeah. Yeah, well, as they say, we've got plenty of stories to talk about. No no shortage of ideas for uh, columns in The Athletic uh, as of uh, right now. That's for sure. Um, what the, I mean, things could change. 10 minutes from now, depending on what comes over the wire, if we get any alerts right now, but uh, what are you focusing in over the next couple of days before 
everyone gets to Nashville next week and uh, the hockey world begins making deals and picking their players. Yeah, draft coverage begins in earnest for me just in a couple of days. But right now, my, my editor is Israel Ferry. He asked me, um, well, okay, well, if Winnipeg's so set on getting players back that can help them make the playoffs like you say they are, how in the world is that possible? So I'm going to be attempting to, in column form with some examples, trying to chart Winnipeg's path to the Stanley Cup playoffs, starting from this awful position that I think that they're in. Um, the last team that had to get rid of so much talent uh, in an offseason like this didn't make it. And that was Edmonton when they lost Chris Pronger at the height of his powers, Sergei Samsonov, Michael Peck, uh, Yaroslav Spacek. They traded Ryan Smith. It was like that team went into a really dark spell for a lot of years. And Winnipeg doesn't want that. They're basically they're, they're trying really hard to get young players with quality that keep them from that. How? And so I'm going to try to figure it out. I have no idea, Hus, but we're working on it. I <laughs> cannot wait to read it, Marat. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Great to have you on the program. And uh, as they say, our visit next week will be interesting. I have a feeling by this date next week, we'll be getting ready for the first round in Nashville that uh, we might have some clarity, at least on one or two of the hot spots, uh, if you uh, to use a forest fire analogy with the uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. Hey, can't wait to see you down there. You're there, right? Can't wait. Yeah, perfect. No, we will be there the entire week. We're starting up on Monday, and uh, it's going to be great to see you there and uh, be all over. It's going to be, uh, as I say, it's an unprecedented situation for this team and um, could very well be um, one of the most impactful weeks that the Winnipeg Jets have had since coming back to the National Hockey League. Great stuff with Murad. Of course, you can read all of his work at The Athletic and make sure to follow him at WPG Murad. Have a good one, pal. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. <laughs> right on. Uh, all right. We've got some breaking news from the Hockey Hall of Fame. Just before we get to that, got to give a big thanks to Princess Auto for their great support of us here at Winnipeg Sports Talk and, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And the place to be tomorrow night before Bombers-Lions is the Princess Auto Tailgate Zone. 5.30 p.m. it opens. 3.50 hot dogs, 3.50 pop, $5 beers, entertainment from DJ Finesse and more. Nowhere better to get together with fellow Bomber fans before the game kicks off than right there outside IG Field at the Princess Auto Tailgate Zone. Of course, you can visit Princess Auto at one of two Winnipeg locations and shop online for everything they've got going there at princessauto.com. Our uh, pals at Consolidated Supply, Joe, Spicy, the gang. Man, they've got a lot going on right now. A busy summer because they're the leaders in irrigation systems, working with golf courses in the golf industry for years. Now they can do the same thing and irrigate your property. Talk to Joe about that. They've also got artificial turf. Want that dream putting green in the backyard? Can make that happen. New and used golf carts is the exclusive club guard dealer in Manitoba. And other great options for your property, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchen options. Not to mention small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see them at the showroom, open to the public, 1395 Niaqua Road East. Or find out more online at cte.ca. Huge tent sale last week at Royal. This weekend, though, is the Winnipeg goalie extravaganza. Now, if you have a goalie in the family, this is a must-attend event. Uh, it hadn't happened the last couple of years because of COVID, but it is back. And basically, expert on-ice instruction by the Ice Lab staff. You'll be able to come out and try next year's gear for free 
They've got equipment from True, Warrior, Vaughn, CCM, Bauer. Contact Royal Sports for info. It's at the Scotiabank Hockey for All Centre at 3969 Portage Avenue. Uh, and tons of demo gear to try out. Pro, senior, intermediate, and junior. Royal Sports, the Winnipeg Goalie Extravaganza, Saturday, June 24th, noon to 4 p.m. Must attend if you're a goalie. And you can find out more. Go on to Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for more details on the event. Uh, we got Bombers tomorrow. Back at it. Big weekend of CFL action. Blue Jays playing tonight. Maybe a little slow in the sports calendar, but I'll tell you what. Still a great time to pop into your local Boston pizza. Have a couple ice-cold schooners, some world-famous BP wings, and a gourmet pizza, and watch the big game. And hey, if you're staying in, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, we are going to talk a little more draft, focus on some of the U.S. college players with Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. in a minute. But, Remo, let's get in here. You've got some breaking news. Uh, we have the class of 2023 for the Hockey Hall of Fame, which was announced while I was speaking with Marat. Eagerly awaiting this announcement today at 2 p.m. It did come up in chat, and we have the inductees for the Hockey Hall of Fame for this year. And I will pull up the list. Uh, goalies has highlight the names. Uh, first, Well, and it's funny because goalies had been very underrepresented mm -hmm. in recent classes, and when you looked at how many players were and how few goalies were, I think that had been a bit of a revelation to uh, the voting board. And, uh, well, from the sounds of it, uh, we got some netminders. We were talking about the Royal Sports goalie extravaganza. Uh, there is a bit of a goalie extravaganza when it comes to this class for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, first they start off by announcing the builders. Ken Hitchcock, class of 2023, coach with the Lewis, Dallas, Edmonton, uh, one Stanley Cup in Dallas. There's Ken Hitchcock. That's uh, gave him the call. Pierre Lacroix. Big Hitch. Yeah, congrats to him. Pierre Lacroix was GM with Quebec, uh, Colorado. Former agent as well. Yeah, so he's in. And then he was actually, I believe, one of the first agents that sort of moved from the agency to run the team, and obviously had great success with uh, Joe Sackick and that Cup-winning team in the Avalanche. Yeah, they were very well positioned uh, coming from. Well, back and then here it starts off with the uh, goalies, Tom Barrasso, uh, Pittsburgh, what, won, uh, multiple Stanley Cups. Calder he, Trophy, too. Yeah, Vesna as well. Then uh, that one was a bit of a, I don't know if it was a total surprise, but uh, I'll tell you the one I was surprised by. Henrik Lundqvist, this one was projected. He was a lock to get in, uh, you know, Top goalie in the league for the generation. Went to the LA Cup final. So he's in. And who else we got here? Uh, Carolyn Wett, uh, that That's what uh, Elliot and Jeff Merrick were talking yesterday. It was like her or Jen Botterill were the top female players to get in. And he is. And Pierre Turgeon. And congrats to him. I, I remember I'd go look through the names. Like You look at top scores of the 90s. He's like number eight. He's got 500 goals. Uh, you know, he, he had, you know, the career stats to be in. Um, but, you know, you don't, what, like, what team do you think of when you think of Pierre Turgeon? 
Buffalo and the Islanders. Buffalo, I mean, not... Islanders, Islanders more because of uh, he was the recipient of that Dale Hunter cheap shot in the playoffs mm-hmm. that got Hunter the 21-game suspension. Um, but he was well-traveled. I mean, that's, uh, at the end of the day, the guy was uh, – I mean, he uh, was a hired gun, if you will, and uh, made his way around the league at a number of stops. 200-plus games with four different teams, Hus. But uh, you look at his career numbers – uh, they're certainly there, and we this one this one was the big shock to me. I thought it was going to be Curtis Joseph, but Mike Vernon, what won, won a Stanley Cup with uh, Detroit, Calgary, got a Con Smythe. You know, maybe the career, what save percentage uh, below average, but uh, he was part of some great teams and won, won Stanley Cups, and he is now a Hall of Famer. So congratulations to Mike Vernon. Was yeah, name. so Tershon gets in and three goalies, King Hendrick, Mike Vernon, and um, Tom Barrasso. Tom Barrasso, of course, former sixth overall pick with Buffalo, won the cup with Pittsburgh. It's a big class. Seven? Last couple of years, we haven't had as many uh, mm-hmm. many in there. But um, And I'm, you know what? I'm pumped for Hitch, too. Hitch was a great, uh, you know, just a obviously a great coach. Really interesting and colorful character. And, uh, you know, some of my favorite memories back, you know, early on in the Jets coming back when Hitch was coaching, uh, you know, with St. Louis or Dallas, he'd come in for the morning skate. And I'd often go and hang out with Gary and, you know, he'd be sniffing around talking to people. And he had a pretty good relationship with Hitch. Hitch wouldn't go onto the ice for the morning skate. He'd just go up into the stands and just literally hold court. And talk hockey. I'm not even sure how much she was paying attention to what was going on with the morning skate, to be honest with you. He was there. But, man, he was fun to talk to and, you know, listen to stories and whatnot. And I imagine he'll have a hell of a good uh, hell of a good induction speech uh, for us coming up um, in November. So congratulations to all of the nominees for this year's class for the Hockey Hall of Fame. All right, speaking of hockey... Next week, it's all about the draft. We'll probably be a little more focused in on potential player moves for the Jets. Jets right now do pick 18th in the first round, barring any more picks added in trades. Uh, But there still is lots to talk about this class coming up, including a class of U.S. college hockey players led by number two ranked prospect Adam Fantilli. Great to welcome in Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. to a look ahead to next week. Mike, great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to see you again as well. Yeah. Happy longest day of the year. No doubt. No doubt. Make that late after work tea time and I get 18 in afterwards, huh? Um, Hey, we've had plenty of time in the past talking to you about, you know, the uh, options of going to college hockey for younger players. As we get towards draft week next week in Nashville, great time to reconnect because, uh, man, there's a lot of top prospects that will be taken from U.S. college programs but what kind of stands out when you look at some of the list of players that we're talking about is how many of them are Canadians really from all across the country. Right. Yeah. Not just Canadian, but I mean, we've got, they literally stretch coast to coast. I think there'll be a young man from New Brunswick, uh, Bradley Nadeau, who uh, is committed to Maine. Uh, He, I think will be a first round pick. I guess I always want to preface everything because I'm not making any picks. So <laughs> I think he'll be a, a first round pick and you go all the way out West and you've got guys like Matthew Wood 
uh, out there. And then, of course, Adam Fantilli's getting the most attention from Toronto. And and I'm particularly close to a young man that we had an event a number of years ago in Winnipeg, Jaden Perron, who played in the USHL this year and will be at the University of North Dakota this year. So uh, uh, a lot of in- intriguing stories from Canada coming up in the draft that are either at U.S. colleges or on their way to U.S. colleges. Well, you know, I want to specifically talk about Perron in a minute, but let's talk about Fantilli. Um, I-, I would say pretty darn close to the consensus number two pick. Although in such a strong draft, anything can happen. But man, what a season he had. Um, you know, goes to the University of Michigan and really dominates on a very, very strong club. And he looks like he's going to be a real blue chipper for the Ducks or whoever else calls his name next week. Yeah, well, if you're ever going to lose a lottery, this is a year to lose the lottery because you're getting a generational player with the second pick. You know, and I, I, I agree. There's a couple of other players out there that I think are very noteworthy. Um, but, um, but yeah, it feels like he's definitely. Uh, the consensus number two right now and he's got he's got such a high ceiling but he also has such a high floor you know i mean i mean I, if the worst if the worst case scenario plays out with him he's going to be an excellent player and and uh, but he also has that opportunity to be like i said that generational type player did everything at michigan this year was so much fun to watch um hear great things about him off the ice too so uh, it'll be very cool to see him, and he'll be he'll be one of many in the past few years Canadians to go uh, very very high in the uh, NHL draft that had college hockey as part of their uh, part of their background. So he's going to join guys like Owen Power and Kale McCarr and Alex Newhook and Kent Johnson, and the list I won't say it's endless, but the list is long. Well, it, it certainly is, and I mean, over the last ten to fifteen years, I think we've seen a trend of. Well, certainly more competition between the Canadian Hockey League and United States schools for playing rights. And that's been a huge boost for leagues like the BC Junior League, the Alberta Junior League, certainly here in Manitoba, in that, you know, kids can they play maybe not at that Western Hockey League level, but it certainly does open a lot of options for them once uh, the scouts start calling and, um, you know, once they get past the high school era. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's important. What you bring up there, when especially when we talk with young players and their parents from Canada, um, I really do think that everybody understands how good college hockey is. Most people think it looks like it's fun, you know, to play in front of student sections and bands and alumni. Um, I think most families understand the value of an education, regardless of how good of a hockey player you are. Uh, But I think where progress is being made is an understanding and appreciation for where you would play before NCAA hockey to to retain your eligibility. You just mentioned a couple of those leagues, BC and Alberta, but um, those leagues are we're good. They're getting better. The perception is is getting even better. And, And when you look at those Canadian players that again, are either going to be drafted from from U.S. colleges like Fantilli or are on their way to U.S. colleges. They're not all playing in the same place to retain their eligibility. Some are playing in British Columbia. Some are playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. A few are playing in the USHL. Some play prep school. So it's not like there's just one path that you have to be on to retain that eligibility. And that's an important part of what we do is to make sure that a family that's interested in Canada knows all of their options about where the, the wonderful places they can play to remain eligible. Well, and, and you know, what's funny, Mike, I, I mean, listen, and obviously going into the draft next week in Nashville, we're going to be talking more about Fantillies and the guys that'll be going first, you know, in the first round for yeah. obvious reasons, but there's plenty of players in the national hockey league that are coming out, making a real impact 
um, that might not be top picks and at times not even picked at all. And I'm not sure there's a better example of that than Zach Whitecloud, who is from right here in Manitoba, that's, uh, well, probably on a celebration tour that continues with the rest of his Vegas Golden Knight teammates. I'll give a little love to the Manitoba Junior League. He played with the Verdon Oil Capitals and then goes to Bemidji State for a couple years and now is a Stanley Cup champion. I mean, there is a number of paths through it. You don't necessarily have to be a first-round pick to uh, make it to, to the final destination. Well, I, th- I believe it's about 20% of NHL players are undrafted. Um, and even though there's, you know, there's one third of the NHL played college hockey, that's the most ever. Um, but if you just isolate the NHL players that were undrafted, half of those players played college hockey. So I think it does speak to a combination of you get a little more runway if you need it. If you're a player like Zach Whitecloud and when you're 18, you, you, you didn't get drafted. So you need a little more time uh, or a lot more time, depending upon who you are. But I also think it points to the development focus that happens when you're at college. There's no doubt about it. You're going to play fewer games. You're going to play 40, 42 games a year, but you're not taking 42 days off. You're replacing those games with practices. They're intense practices. And then you're also in the weight room as much as you'll ever be when you're a college student athlete. So I think that's the type of thing Zach Whitecloud benefited from. Another good one is Neil Pionk, who's on the blue line there in Winnipeg. He was an undrafted player, uh, went and played college hockey, and and now he's a solidified NHLer as well. So Zach Whitecloud, Neil Pionk, they're part of 20% of the NHL, which are undrafted players. Mike Stee's with us from College Hockey, Inc. Um, We're just focusing back on next week's first round and, uh, well, the entire draft festivities in Nashville we know the first guy off the board from a U.S. college program is going to be Adam Fantilli but you mentioned Winnipeg native Jaden Perron and Perron is not yet a member of an NCAA program although not surprisingly going to a powerhouse team down in North Dakota Uh, but another young man that could very well hear his name called in the first round Uh, he's not as big of a name here uh, probably because he's been playing in the USHL tell us a little bit about Perron and uh, what uh, his outlook is uh, coming up uh, very creative. I'll use that phrase, high hockey IQ. I've watched him play a number of times, and when you see him play, he clearly understands the game at a level that not many players do. Um, I, I would imagine the reason that there is some variance on where people, uh, you know, the experts, I guess, think that he's going to go is still back to his size Um uh, which, I mean, I mean, if you're ever going to be an undersized player and want to play in the NHL, now is the best time to do that. But I still think that it can be held against you when evaluating things. Um, but nothing you can do about that. Uh, but a, a player who I expect to be one of the top players in college hockey uh, that people are going to really enjoy watching. He's a fun player to watch. And to, uh, something that's always impressed me, and we've been following him for a while since since we first met him back when he was, you know, literally just a, a boy in, in, in Winnipeg, um, is he takes almost no penalties. Um, I can't recite it off the top of my head, but it struck me one time and I started paying attention to it. And it's it's like he's he's rarely in the penalty box. So so I think it's, it's like a like a freaky thing. Like how can you not get your sticks stuck in somebody's skates unintentionally once? But uh, if you pull him up sometime, just look at how few penalties he's taken. It's pretty impressive. But he's an exciting player. Um, and like you said, uh, he could very well be another one of those Canadians that's drafted in the first round um, next week. 
Well, we'll be down there paying attention and uh, hopefully get a chance to uh, talk to Jaden on what will be a big week for uh, he, his family, and all of the other draft prospects going into uh, hearing their names called in Nashville. As far as the overall draft class uh, with connections to the NCAA, how would this one compare um, to uh, previous years? Well, there was the one a couple of years ago that I, th- I think was just off the charts with, uh, you know, what was it, uh, three of the top five and seven of the top ten. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's crazy to, to come from any one kind of thing because, you know, you mentioned the CHL and college hockey, but let's not forget about Europe and the European leagues. I mean, yeah. what they do over there is pretty special. And probably when you look at it, you got special players from coming from all of those different leagues. So, you know, it's probably a little less about place and it's just a little bit more about the player. Are you, are you a special player? And do you have that internal desire to get the most out of it? And whether you're in Russia, Sweden, uh, the U S or, or Canada, and whether you're playing Euro pro leagues, the CHL or NCAA, um, I don't think any one place has cornered the market on, 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 I guess, development and high end players. But so that year was pretty special for, for anybody, but I think that, that um, you know, this upcoming season is going to be just, or this, I should say, this upcoming draft is going to be um, another one of those with just intriguing players that that are are coming from all over the place, including Canada. Hey, Mike, uh, you know, you mentioned Europeans. Uh, is there many Europeans that ever go the road of U.S. college hockey? Yeah, it's actually, it's a. It, it, I don't know about uh, you know the higher end draft picks this year. I don't think any of them are European, but. Um, just in the time that you and I have, have kind of get together on a yearly basis, the past decade, the past 10 years, the number of Europeans playing NCAA hockey is quadrupled. The first time we got together, it was 40 because that was the year I started. And last year, there were 135 European players. And then our organization, because we work with these young players and their families to answer their questions, just the incoming number of questions or inquiries we get from European players or their parents. Um, it's not scientific, but it's more than quadrupled. So I think our, our shrinking world because of technology, because of YouTube and social media and everything, um, word is out, not just in Canada, but also throughout Europe, just about how good NCA hockey is. And then again, I get back to, and then how good what you do before NCA hockey uh, is as well. Well, and, and you know what I'll just say on the women's hockey side of things as well. I mean, we've seen top players. I mean, really, that has become the desti- the destination for the top players on the women's side while they have eligibility in addition, of yeah. course, to representing their country. Yeah. Mike, I can't have you on the program here in Winnipeg without asking you about last year's first rounder for the Winnipeg Jets, Rucker McGrory. Yeah. I know he's going back yeah. to school this year. But we always like to get Rutger updates from folks that have been paying close attention to the Wolverines this year. Uh, um, tell, tell us about the season, what you've seen from him, um, but also maybe any interactions you've had with Rutger. He certainly became a fast favorite here when he joined us on the program. Well, he represents a lot of things. First of all, he represents the growth of hockey in the United States. I, you know what state he's from, don't you? Yeah, Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nebraska. So, uh so that's really cool. Uh, Not that, quite a hockey hotbed historically. Well, but but you know they've got a great university there that plays. They have a couple of USHL teams, and it's um, you know it's it's becoming that I would say. 
Um, in fact, Neil Pionk was born in Nebraska as well. Uh, he only lived there for, I believe, a few months. His dad was coaching the USHL there. But uh, but Rutgers, a special player. Uh, I saw Michigan play about five times in person and probably five to ten more times on television and very noticeable, uh, clearly. Uh, it's the obvious here, but he's on a pretty special team with, with a lot of special players. But um, he stood out, I believe. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe he was about a point of a, a game player, which – Keep in mind, as a true freshman last year at Michigan, um, that puts him in the very youngest class of players in college hockey. I mean, college hockey tends to skew older, which I think a lot of people like about it because you're playing uh, strong, developed men. But he was 18 years old, so he was in the youngest 5 to 10% quartile of college hockey players last year and still was knocking out a point a game. So very special player. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not his advisor by any means, nor am I his parents. So uh, I shouldn't really give him advice, but I think going back for another year for him is absolutely the right thing to do. When you look at our research for players, even first round draft picks, there's something magical that happens in that second season um, of playing college hockey. So you kind of you, you step it up, you become a leader on the ice and in the locker room and, and uh, you get that extra that extra burst of confidence that I think, um, again, not speaking specifically for him, but in the macro view, I think that second year of college hockey is pretty impactful for very high-end players. So I'm glad to hear that he's going back another year. I think he's going to knock it out of the park, and I wouldn't be surprised if he follows the Fantilli path of becoming a, a finalist for the Hobie Baker Award this year. Mike, I know a lot of your work is based on going into the future. Are you in Nashville next week? And what does draft week like from your perspective? Yeah, well, so uh, draft week's always uh, very, uh, almost uh, hectic. I mean, it's fabulous for us. It is hectic, but it's hectic in a great way. One thing that we have at the uh, at the draft every year, we've got a bit of a tradition. Uh, the morning of the first round, we host a breakfast event for advisors and agents uh, we want to provide them with information. We do a lot of research, as I mentioned, so we provide them with a lot of research about just exactly um, what it looks like in many different ways. One thing that we'll bring up is that magic of that second year. So if you have a, a client who's who's contemplating that, we'll show them kind of that. I think a lot of, we call it internally that Kale McCarr effect. Kale McCarr had a very good freshman year, uh, but if you talk to him, uh, that second year at UMass was really was pretty special. So we have an event down there for agents. That's a bit of our annual, um, our annual, uh, uh, the main thing that we do down there is to work with them. And then we, we introduce college hockey, Inc., make sure they're aware of us and that we're a resource for agents and advisors all year long. And that's been a group that we've really created some pretty strong relationships with. Mike, just before we go, if there's any young players here in the peg in Manitoba listening or watching this right now, or their parents that want to find out more about college hockey, Inc., how do they uh, get in touch? Uh, well, we're a free resource. We're a nonprofit, so we'll work with any family, answer any questions they have. We're not a scouting organization, so we're not necessarily the one that's going to find a college for you to play at. But we'll make sure that if you have any questions regarding NCAA eligibility, academic aspects, please visit our website, which is collegehockeyinc.com. That inc is I-N-C collegehockeyinc.com follow us on social media twitter and so and um, and uh, instagram are the best at college hockey or go on our website find our phone number and give us a call uh, we also love to do it that way and if you don't mind just one thing i want to throw in i made this a resolution a while back uh, we talked so much about the hockey aspect of college hockey understandably 
um, as, as to why we do that. But the academic piece of college hockey is just as exciting. College hockey last year and the men that played it had a 92% graduation rate. And in fact, women that played NCAA college hockey had a 98% graduation rate. So keep in mind that uh, as good as it is as a path to whatever professional goals you have as a hockey player, um, you can also do it while attaining your university degree. So we're pretty proud of what our, what our hockey players do in the classroom as well. Mike, great catching up. Um, hopefully we'll see you down in Music City next week. Thanks for joining us today. You got it. As always, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, good stuff with Mike Snee. And again, uh, you know, if you if you've missed some of our draft content, a whole bunch of it is on the YouTube landing page for Winnipeg Sports Talk. And again, we will be in Nashville. Looking forward to seeing Marat down there, beginning on Monday with shows throughout the remainder of the draft through Thursday, presented by our friends at Coolbet. We'll get to the Coolbet lines in just a second. Uh, do you want to give a shout out to our friends over at Little Brown Jug and? You know what? It's not as hot as it was yesterday. Great day to get out to the ballpark and take in some Winnipeg Gold Eyes action. Tough loss last night to start this series, believe, against Lincoln. Look to get back in the win column tonight. But you're always a winner at the Gold Eyes games, especially considering our favorite local brew, Little Brown Jug, is in the park. Both 1919 and generic available in cans. And I know last week they had a couple Little Brown Jugs uh, on a craft beer corner as well. Um, so pop down 6.30 start tonight. Gold Eyes at home all week long. And uh, it's been a tough struggle lately for the fish. See if they can start a bit of a winning streak at home tonight. Uh, and again, of course, if you do want to get the great taste of Little Brown Jug, pop by the uh, brewery and tap room down on William Avenue uh, to try them all. Um, but both at the Gold Eyes game tonight and the Bomber game tomorrow. Don't forget 1919 now available at IG Field is the Little Brown Jugs partner with the Bombers. But you got to know where to find it. I've done the intel for you folks. Available both on the 100 level and 200 level at the Poutine relocations and the hometown concession stands. That's where you'll find Winnipeg's favorite, 1919. Of course, find out more online at littlebrownjug.ca. And don't forget about their uh, events happening with DJs and pop-up food from the Shorty's Kitchen on Saturdays, now from noon until sunset. Uh, Travelers Championship begins tomorrow on the PGA Tour. Elevated event. Should be a good one. We hit that on the Lock Shop today. If you want to get our picks, check out the Lock Shop, either on audio podcast or over at the Lock Shop Beth's YouTube channel. Of course, our golf report's always brought to you by our friends at Breezy Bend. Of course, it's in absolute mint shape right now. If you're thinking about making Breezy, uh, a long-term golfing home for you and your family. Talk to Corey Johnson at the course of getting on the waiting list for the 2024 season. And you can always find out more at breezybend.ca. We're putting the finishing touches on the plans to get out to Aikens Lake again this year. Honestly, my favorite three or four days of the year every year. And Listen, as great as the fishing is, uh, and you know whether you're an expert or a more amateur fisherman like myself, an angler, as great as the fishing is, it's the world-class hospitality of the Terrens, Pat, to Janelle, everyone up there at Aikens Lake that makes it um, an adventure that keeps everybody coming back year after year. Limited availability left this summer, already booking for next year. Find out more online at AikensLake.com, and we'll have a bunch of pictures and content coming out of the trip coming up a little later on this summer. All right, let's get to 
the cool bet lines. Not a ton going on right now. Blue Jays <laughs> played this afternoon, by the way. They did win this afternoon. That's nice. They end up getting two out of three uh, against the Marlins. Later on tonight, you got the cards at Nats. Cards a minus 154 favorite. Phillies with Aaron Nola on the bump, a minus 130 favorite at home against the Braves. Seattle, a big favorite on the road in New York to take on the Yankees. And the game that I'm focusing in on for my daily pick for Cool Bet Canada, the Minnesota Twins trying to salvage their series at home against the Boston Red Sox, but they got their guy Sonny Gray on the hill. I think there's some good value at minus 115 on the Twins. Wouldn't be surprised if that pops up as the play of the day on Cool Bet a little later on. 2-0 and on the week after that win by the Stroh Show last night. But let's take a look at the Canadian Football League lines. Tomorrow, it's Bombers-Lions. This game opened at 6.5 for the Bombers. Gone down to 6. So Bombers, 6-point favorites against BC tomorrow. Total for the game, 48.5. And the Bombers, 244 on the money line. Other matchups this week. Friday night, Montreal at Hamilton. No bull Levi Mitchell. It'll be Schilt starting for the Ticats. The Ticats, though, in the home opener are two-and-a-half-point favorites over Cody Fajardo and Montreal Alouettes. Stamps at home to the Riders. Calgary, three-and-a-half-point favorites. That is the Saturday game. And then a little Sunday night football in Edmonton. Argos and Elks. No surprise, the Elks are home dogs again. They haven't won since 2019 at home. Could this be the night... I'll tell you what, you'll get plus 230 if they do win the game. They're six-and-a-half-point underdogs all over there. Don't forget our DraftKings contest. Get in there before tomorrow night as well. Um, and, of course, if you haven't played a cool bet before, use the promo code WST on your first deposit and get a two, uh, 100% bonus up to 200 bucks when you play a cool bet for the first time. And, again, huge thanks to our friends at Cool Bet for making WST at the NHL Draft in Nashville possible will be live in Music City beginning next Monday. Uh, one more thing to do, Remo, before we finish, and that is head out to the track because, of course, it's Wednesday and we have live racing at Assiniboia Downs. I did manage one win last night. Uh, still didn't make it back, but better than the slump that I'd been in before. Uh, did, you ha- did you have any results no, last night? I did not. I mean, I had results. Well, I, I definitely had results, but were they So I positive? actually made up nine bucks on you. Well, congratulations yeah. to me because uh, it, I don't think that might have been the first time all year that uh, that, that Yeah, I, well, it didn't go. I was I was over yesterday, so I'm looking to keep it simple today, mostly just going for winners. Beautiful. Well, uh, let's start it off. I think we're both betting on uh, the first race. I am. I have dazzling gold to win. Nicely done. I'm actually going with the Triactor box. Oh, right. One, two, six. Dazzling Gold, HD's Hope, and Prairie Magic. Uh, that is a $6 wager, one, uh, six ways. Uh, getting over to race number two, I'm going with Dazzling Gold. Oh, sorry. That was the last one. That's not, you mean that uh, Impressive Sense? Is that what you're on? Impressive sense, yes. I'm impressive sense to win a race number two. I got impressive sense and drop a caribou in a uh, $2 exact a box. So first and second. So that's going to end up winning me like five five bucks. They're, they're both heavy. I don't know why I keep doing this, but I can't I can't resist. So we'll see. We'll see what happens if it wins. A little chalky. Moving on to race four. 
I'm going to go a win bet on number four, Don's a rebel who opened up at three to one. Now, are you in on race four? No, I have six and seven after this. Okay, excellent. Let's move on to race six. What do you got for that one? Race six. I'm just going with straight winners here. Uh, I love horse one today. And call the cops. I'm just picking call the cops to win. I should maybe play it safe because this is a bit of a long shot. It's not a program selection, but this is a horse that we're quite familiar with. Call the call the cops. So I'm in on it. Yeah, I love call the cops. I'm doing a triactor box for this one. I'm taking call the cops. Number two, Jeff Fafa and barely regal. Another six dollar bet. Uh, the triactor box. That is uh, my final bet. And uh, what do you got cooking for race seven? I'm just going with another straight up. Winner here, I got uh, two steps faster in this nine-horse race. So hopefully it is two steps faster than all of them. Ooh, one of my favorite horses I see, Wit 9, is in this one. Opened up at 15 to 1. I always do a nice big race at the end with nine. Uh, oh, and kick a little booty. Yes. 20 to 1 as well. Those last ones, you know, there's been some big, big underdogs. We had a long shot 20 to 1 winner win last night. Or that was the, the start. It was a $2 ticket paid $58.70, I saw. Just got to get in on the right time with that. Again, if you want to play at Assiniboy Downs with us, but don't make it down there, hpibet.com. You can open an account there and make sure to watch Kirk and Stretch do their thing on the Assiniboy Downs YouTube channel with live coverage all the races and some great analysis as well. Uh, well, it's been a good show today. Obviously, we'll be all over the Jets situation the latest tomorrow, but we've also got a game day coming up. And speaking of game day, I think Darren Bombing and Chris Walby are going to get going shortly after our program this afternoon, so make sure to kick uh, check that out. And uh, DB's going to join us to tee up tomorrow's game on the show, isn't he? Yeah, I'm going to send everyone directly over. So if you're in here right now, um, the show's going to end, and it'll take you right there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and there's another game. We've done a raid. Bear, how about Sea Bears in action? Back in action tonight at the North Pole. Yeah, the igloo. <laughs> We're calling the igloo. The, the tundra. Oh, someone said the tundra. Maybe that was that was Polly. The tundra dome. The home the of froze, the sea bears. I think there's one tundra, and that's the frozen tundra of Lambo. Lambo Field. <laughs> so uh, we're still working on what to call it, but uh, they're back. I just want to say we've got some great feedback, too. Um, Jeff's appearance yesterday, if you missed it and you're here now, go check it out in the description. All the time codes are there. Uh, people loving Jeff. A lot of great comments. And uh, Marat texted me. He apologized uh, for using all the four-letter words today. I know the chat was getting fired up. Uh, that he's getting a little spicy. It was a little spicy. And Marat said he blamed it. He said, uh, off season mode. So casual. I need to trim my beard and clean up the language. <laughs> oh, all right. We're getting the messages in chat are flowing. I guess the ice cave name is now available for, for the sea bears. Well, that is two. true. We said the ice cave, you know, it's a perfect time to finish up the program with an extra. Why not question of the day for not AutoCorp over the Waverly and McGillivray. What do we call the Sea Bears home? And of course, Trevor and the gang uh, are big sponsors of the uh, of the Sea Bears. And you can see they've got a big deckled vehicle, and they're up at the games. Trevor's a big basketball guy as well. Uh, but what do we call it? Is it? I mean, the ice cave. We could just take that because the ice are no longer. 
But what makes sense for sea bears, polar bears? I don't know. What what do polar bears live in? We've had this as sea bears. Oh wait, what do they live in? Um, yeah, like what is their what are their ice? Homes? Arctic igloos? No, they don't make. Well, that, I don't know ice caves. Yeah, tundra dome. Tundra dome sounds pretty good. I don't know. Well, we'll fly that. We'll fly that up the. Uh, we'll fly that up the up the flagpole, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can get. But let us know in the chat, uh, and we can. You, you know what? Think about that over tonight. And if you go down to the game, cheer on the Sea Bears. Had a great start to the season. They're home Wednesday and Friday, right now playing uh, playing home games. Mary Jane says, "Just take the name Ice Cave." As does uh, as does Jet Oil Tom. Uh, the Ice Den that is available. Um, so anyways, we'll let you know what happens in that game tomorrow night. Uh, again, pop down. The crowds have been awesome so far this year and, uh, really looking forward to, uh, getting out there tonight and, uh, Friday. Uh, but of course we've got gold eyes baseball as well. Want to get to that and bomber game tomorrow. So, uh, lots going on, not to mention all the off season stuff with the Winnipeg jets. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Have a great one. DB and Bonfire Sports with a little bomber pregame. Just hang tight. If you're with us right now, we'll send you over there with a little WST raid. And make sure to join us tomorrow, 1 p.m., right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.